Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. Today is Horticulture Day. I'm Charity Nebbe. When you're looking through catalogs or walking the aisles at the garden center, it's easy to feel like a kid in a candy store. Every tomato sounds delicious. Every pepper sounds tempting. Every watermelon just might be your new favorite. Sometimes you need a friend with firsthand knowledge to help you narrow down your options. And today that friend is Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Dan. Hi there, Charity. How are you today? Great. Thank you so much for being here. And this is a problem that I have every year, Dan, especially <laughs> especially with tomatoes. There are so many yes. tomatoes, the new hybrids, the heirloom tomatoes, the mm, cherry mm. tomatoes. The yeah, There are too many options. How yeah, do you... Yeah, got to catch them all. Yeah. How do you navigate? Oh, my goodness. Um, well... It's, it's, I mean, ultimately, right, it comes down to self restraint and a little bit, but it's really hard. And, you know, it, when, when they're just little plants, you plant them all close together and, and it's, and you don't really, it's, it's, many of us don't think about what they're going to be like as, it's like puppies, right? When they grow mm-hmm. up. <laughs> right. Well, and, yeah. and you have your favorites from past years, but then oh, yes. you want to try the new ones too. So it is really hard to limit yourself. And we're all limited as far as space, or at least most of us yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there are, I, I find myself in this situation with cherry tomatoes. There's a number of them that I really, really like. And I've found that I just get buried or swamped in picking them when they're all really ripe. And so I have I have really just allotted myself, okay, you can only have three cherry tomato plants. That's uh that's what I found I can reliably pick. And sometimes I will set aside one of my favorite varieties one year to try out another one. And I know it's going to be, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder perhaps. And I'll be so happy to come back to that variety the following year, or I'll find a new one that I really uh, like better. So that's one thing that I do. All right. And when you're going to tell us about some of your favorites, and you have so many favorites that we will not get to all of them, for (laughs) sure. But uh, before we talk about your specific favorites, I mean, all of these varieties have been tried and tested. You have friends who've grown them, but also professionals who've grown them. And can you can trust the information about how something grows, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, there's a certain amount of... uh, of research and that every seed catalog and breeder will do, and they'll represent that in the description. So there's, you know, all these varieties are good varieties, potentially. Um, there, an additional thing you can look for is this designation as a quote-unquote AAS winner that is sometimes listed after a variety, and that AAS is short for All America Selections. And this is, a, you know, the breeders submit certain varieties that they see as being promising, as being reliable in a lot of different places to trial gardens and Ryman Gardens here in Ames is one of those evaluation sites. And um, they plant all these varieties and they evaluate how they grow throughout the year, how disease resistant they are, how flavorful they are. And then they, you know, submit their answers, uh, their their evaluation 
uh, into the the headquarters and all the other trial gardens do too. And if they are reliable in a bunch of these different places, then they become an AAS winner. And so that's if if you know if people want to see what the current slate of quote unquote competitors are for the current year's AAS selections, uh, they can go visit Ryman Gardens during the growing season, and those are outdoors in the vegetable garden section there. All it's right, kind of so you can see. see it with your own eyes. Yeah. All right, let's uh, talk. I, I, oh, go on. Oh, I, while we're talking AAS winners, a couple that like come to mind, you know, right off the top are are Carmen peppers. That's a a, a really nice uh, Italian frying pepper. That, but it's, it's not a bell pepper, but it's sweeter than one. Bright red, lots of fruit. Uh, it, it's a really nice one. One that I saw at Ryman Gardens that I'm going to try in my garden. This year is another pepper called Mad Hatter, which is uh, it's, it's such a it's shaped like a oh like a like a funny little hat and it's it's a different species of pepper but it's got a really f- nice bright flavor when you first bite into it super crisp texture and a little bit of heat at the end especially if they're fully ripe. All right, so do you have a since we're talking peppers? Do you have a, another favorite standby? I you know I have for years gone with. Um, with a variety called X3R Red Knight, and the X3R is xanthomonas resistance. That's what the X stands for there. I'm I'm setting that one aside this year to try a new one called Sailfish, which looks really promising as an early red bell that also promises a lot of disease resistance. Well, shall we talk about tomatoes? I think yeah. for so many people, that's the favorite bit of garden yeah. produce. And also, For again, sure. a dizzying array of options with tomatoes. Oh what gosh. are what are you planning to plant this year? Sure. I, um, you know, one of those cherry tomatoes that I tried out last year that I kind of am sticking with this year again uh, is Sun Dipper. This is uh, orange, kind of like the, the um, increasingly popular Sun Gold. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of a round one, it's kind of elongated, um, like, a pear t- tomato, but with a bulb on both ends. So you've got a little handle and you can dip it into a dip, you know, on a, on a crudite platter or into the hummus or whatever you're dipping it into. Uh, I like that one quite a bit. Uh, and the paste one that I go with is one called Chipola's Pride. It's reliably productive. And I had a really bad tomato year last year where a lot of my plants succumbed to disease. Both Chipola's Pride and Sun Dipper were ones that did not die. So I was very pleased with that. They seem to keep producing through it all. And sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask, what do you want to put on your sandwiches this year? Oh, (laughs) yeah. Well, you know, a nice uh, depends, you know, do you want the heirloom or do you want the red slicer beef steak one? Uh, You know, the one that I I go to a lot of these produce auctions that are uh, Amish Mennonite uh, run in the state. There's five of them. And every single grower seems to grow a variety called Red Deuce. It's a red slicer, semi-determinate, and it seems to just crank out the big beefsteak red tomatoes. Um, And then if you're looking for heirlooms, there's a new group of, (laughs) you'll you'll laugh at this, I laugh at it, heirloom hybrids. Um, They're hybrid heirlooms or high looms. And these are ones that have the, the heirloom look but hybrid disease resistance and crack resistance ah. and there yeah so uh, one heirloom that i really like is striped german i like the look of it it's the yellow with that red blush in the center and then the one that is a high loom that's been bred for outdoor production because it has late blight resistance is a variety called harvest moon and that was uh, bred by johnny's and available through them 
Let's talk about watermelons. Like I said earlier, yeah. the descriptions are always so tempting. And you think this this might be my favorite watermelon ever if I grow it. But then yeah. there's the unknown, the unknown out there. So what are your favorite watermelons? Oh, my goodness, Charity. And and part of it is it needs to ripen, right? So many people will grow a watermelon in their yard and then they'll it looks ripe and they cut it open and it's white inside. And oh, how heartbreaking is that? Well, growing short days to maturity melons and icebox, these smaller melons are often that way. And also making sure you just grow them in full sun. So that's let's get that that right out uh, in front here. But varieties I really like. Are the the ice boxes are Cathay Bell, Starlight, and Yellow Doll. These are all seeded. There, it's very difficult to grow seedless. Uh, one might try it, but I would leave that to the pros in in personally. Um, but those are some nice ice boxes that are reliably flavorful, great texture, and uh, reliable to mature in a in a shorter season. Another one that a lot of people stand by, a bigger one that's a classic, and a lot of people probably know by name is uh, Crimson Sweet. Now, that one's a really nice one open pollinated variety. All right. And what about your other kinds of melons? Yeah, sure. So cantaloupe, right? This, uh, who, who doesn't like that? Well, I know a lot of people actually, to be honest, (laughs) 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 but, um, the, uh, a reliably flavorful one, uh, that I, you know, cause this is another thing you, you, you grow a cantaloupe, it looks great, but then you bite into it. It's kind of bland. Well, one that I've seen is pretty reliably flavorful is a variety called divergent. And this is a, a cantaloupe that's been mixed with a galea melon. And that just for some, that hybrid vigor and that, that galea like sweetness is really nice. Um, but then another one that, uh, is planted around the state quite a bit for the first harvest because it's got short days to maturity and is a bigger one uh, is called goddess i'm giving that one a try this year because i've seen the amish growing a lot of these and i want to see what it does in my garden all right now you've already overfilled my garden plot but (laughs) let's talk (laughs) let's talk about sweet corn which i cannot grow in my garden because we're too close to field corn which is a problem but what are your favorite kinds of sweet corn yeah you know uh, sweet corn is one that's, it's really hard to do it better than, than the, the folks who are doing this professionally and getting it in early and all that. And, and, uh, anyway, varieties that I like are Allure. It's a synergistic that has, you know, a little bit of, uh, 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 a synergistic means it's partially S E and partially S H two good texture, good flavor, and it's reliably vigorous. So if you plant it in colder soil, it's going to come out more reliably than some other varieties. Um, if you really like the super sweets, which a lot of the market is shifting towards super sweet, especially in the grocery stores, um, then kickoff is a good one. That's, uh, also reliably vigorous and one that's harder to find, but I'm watching for future years is called Quick Start. Uh, one thing to note about these super sweets is they really are um, less reliable in cold soils. So I typically plant those later. All right. Now, you have a description. You sent me your list and you have a description yes. on, on one of the zucchini that I think is very appealing. It says, best tasting low yields, which is not usually yes. what we're looking for. But a lot of us have been overwhelmed by zucchini in the past. Tell oh my me, gosh. Tell me about it's this the variety. Best, yeah, it's the, you're, it's the best selling point of this variety is that it doesn't overwhelm you. It doesn't swamp you with all the zucchini. So Costata Romanesco. It is uh, the the downside of it is it's a vining one rather than a bush one. So it needs a lot of space, kind of like a pumpkin. Right. But it sends out, you know, a couple a week, maybe three a week, and it's it's this uh, alternating stripes of dark green and light uh, light green, excuse me, 
on this uh, squash, and it is has a really lovely nutty taste. So it's just oh, it's divine for either sautéing in a pan or putting on the grill. Uh, it's got a lot of great flavor on its own, and yeah, you don't have to hang the the grocery sack on your neighbor's doorknob and run away because it's, it's got such low yields. All right, and if you do want to be overwhelmed, you've got one of those too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. A nice, you know, reliable, dark green zucchini, uh, Dunja, D-U-N-J-A. Very productive. All right. Well, we we are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. Dan Phileas is Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. For more gardening information and tips, please subscribe to our Garden Variety Newsletter. You can find out more at iowapublicradio.org slash garden. I'm Charity Nebbe. Support for IPR comes from Hands in Harmony, a therapeutic healthcare facility with a splash of spa and a team of holistic healers to help in the quest for health, harmony, and happiness. Cedar Rapids and Mount Vernon. Classes, massage, and more at myhih.com. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today. With me, Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. And Aaron Style is also here, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialist. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. Thank you for being here. And we've been talking about some of Dan's favorites so far today. We'll sprinkle a few more of those in throughout the show because uh, we did not get through that whole list, but (laughs) (laughs) not even close. (laughs) But we also have a lot of people with questions already. If you want to join the conversation with your questions, give us a call, 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Org. Dorothy is on the line in Iowa City. Hi, Dorothy. Hi. Hi. What's your question? How are you this snowy day? Oh, good. Um, I bought a bunch of seeds. Normally, I sow my wildflower seeds in the fall, but I just got a bunch of packets that need stratification. Is it too late for me to put them out uh, to sow them now? Will it be cold enough uh, for enough 30 to 60 days? For them to stratify, or do I um, have to do them in the refrigerator, which is a real pain? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll probably have more consistent results if you did them in the refrigerator, especially at this point. Most wildflowers are going to need a solid eight weeks um, for stratification, and some a little bit longer. And we're definitely. Um, I mean, in some ways, it's kind of nice. I don't, I don't know if we have eight weeks left of of uh, stratification temperatures. Anyway, the groundhog doesn't so, think that we do. So yes, that's true. That's true. So um, you probably will have better luck doing it in the refrigerator. It would also allow you to kind of cheat a little bit because it's okay to plant these, you know, as late as the first or uh, middle part of May without a lot of issue. And if you do the if you do stratify them in your fridge, then you can make sure that 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 period is met before you sow them even that late because typically by April we're going to be probably um, most uh, most likely above the temperatures that would be needed to to make that successful 
All right, Dorothy, thanks so much for the call. And uh, we have a question from Claire. This is a question we've been encountering a lot, Erin. She says, what do I do with columnar arborvitae branches that are still alive but were bent over by the heavy snow? Yes. So uh, we did see this a lot. Uh, There was a a really big snow event in January across much of the state. And I saw this in my yard. I saw it all around town, especially evergreens, especially things like arborvitae and boxwood and yews. The snow piled up and then it got super cold, so it didn't melt or blow off. And so it sat there for a while. It's hard to believe, but most of these plants will spring back. Uh, They are they are surprisingly flexible and as long as the branch hasn't broken partially or all the way it should spring back it may not get it, it may not get a hundred percent of the way back to where it was maybe only 90 percent um there's a lot of temptation to kind of um uh kind of wrap them up um kind of pull them up if it really bothers you you can do that and it may be beneficial for future heavy snows to do that so that it doesn't, because uh, those branches are more likely to collect snow than if the, the arborvitae was its traditional, more conical shape. And so that could be helpful. Just make sure that you don't do it with twine or something that can rub or um, cause damage to the trunk. So, um, you know, nylon hose, um, even a bungee cord would probably be better than something like twine or cotton rope. Um, do it on a nice warm day and be gentle. Um, when you do it because you run the risk of bending it, trying to pull it back into its spot too soon. So, or I'm sorry, not bending it, breaking it, right. trying to pull it back into its spot too soon. So um, you certainly can do that. Although most of them are going to recover. You'll be surprised by middle of summer. You have, you will have no idea that, that they look the way that they did right now. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Diane is on the line in Cedar Falls. Hi, Diane. Hi there. Hi. What's your question? Well, um, the other day I was cutting up some sweet, those little luscious sweet peppers that I bought at the grocery store, and I, on an impulse, just stuck a few of the seeds in my African violet pot, and they're sprouting away like crazy. Uh, are they worth raising? Will they produce fruit? Uh, they likely will produce fruit. However, most of those little snacking peppers uh, are mm-hmm. hybrids, F1 hybrids, and therefore the fruit that they make won't likely be exactly the fruit that you took it from. Uh, I can't, you know, who knows if it's going to be the same color, if it's going to be the same shape. Um, I don't. I wish I knew more about the breeding of those to tell you uh, you know, what the two parents are that they use to make those. But uh, yeah, it's a fun experiment. Have fun with it. And uh, I, I'm, I'm curious to know uh, if, if they do make fruit for you, what, what they end up doing for you. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a yeah. lot for the call, Diane. And we didn't even talk about how when you have limited space and endless varieties, and then you try an experiment like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're making life just... A little bit harder to squeeze in all the things you want to grow. 866-780-9100 is the number to call. You can send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Anne is on the line next in Des Moines. Hi, Anne. Hi. Uh, Unexpectedly, I'm having to dig up iris now. I don't have a basement or garage. I have an unheated shed. I don't know what to do with them. 
So they will need a little bit of protection if temperatures get down, especially below the kind of upper to mid-20s, um, if they're up out of the ground. So um, the shed will help a little bit, but uh, at night, the temperatures inside the shed are basically the temperatures outside without any kind of um, supplemental or even passive heat source, you know, uh, the, the concrete floor in the shed warms up because light shined, shined in through the floor or through the window, I'm sorry, and that, that can um, release some heat. But a lot of us don't have that situation in an outbuilding like that. So um, they will need a little bit of protection. If you can bury them in um, some mulch um, in, a, in a protected corner of your property, that will help until um, we get into kind of early to mid-April when it's a little bit more reliably warmer um, that would probably be probably be the best thing you can do kind of basically create like a little nursery bed um, somewhere where you have a uh, where you have a spot and they can be right on top of each other in that spot because um, it's just temporary you're just trying to protect those those big fleshy roots from um, really cold temperatures now that they're up out of the earth okay so just bury the green part and everything then yeah, you can bury the whole thing, about four inches of wood bark mulch. If you can find some that's not still frozen in a pile or a bag, would work perfect. Um, or you can buy a couple bags from the store and, and bring them in and let them thaw out and then do it. Okay, and what was that again, about four inches of wood what? About, about four inches of a shredded bark mulch would work. Um, you could also use straw or something like that. That would work. I would probably put more like six or eight inches of straw because it will mat down but um, some kind of mulch in a corner of your property just to get them through uh, the rest of winter. And thanks so much for the call. 866-780-9100 is the number. Steve in Mason City emailed and he said he needs some advice on seed starting material for very tiny seeds. He says, I've had poor results germinating prairie smoke. Seeds either fall too deeply into the soil or lacking complete cover dry out. Mm, yeah. You know, uh, one of the things uh, that's really interesting, when you buy seed starting mix, it's usually very fine, which seems counterintuitive because it stays wet and we don't necessarily want our soil to stay super wet all the time. But the reason why it's so finely textured is so that it has good contact with tiny seeds. Um, if you use a more regular kind of style of potting soil, it's really easy for those seeds to kind of fall into spaces or gaps and then they don't germinate very well. One of the things I've done because... Um, I don't want my, my seed starting media to stay too wet too long is rather than use, um, I, I might mix a little bit of potting soil with a seed starting mix to kind of help get a finer texture to it. And then I will cover the seed with a seed starting mix if it requires being covered. And that helps much more with good seed contact um, to hopefully have a little bit better luck um, starting those tiny, tiny little seeds. And another thing that I've uh, seen many uh, cut flower growers do with small seeds, such as lysianthus or things like that, is they'll cover, they'll they'll sow the, the seeds. And some you are not supposed to cover. They're supposed to stay exposed. And uh, they will cover that tray then with either, say, plastic wrap or a, a dome. They make domes that, are, uh, that go on top of the trays also. But covering those, if the problem is drying out, if uh, when you get to the point where it's just drying out, that might be one solution. But yeah, there is that risk, like Aaron mentioned, of, of it staying too wet also. But I like what Aaron said too. 
All right. Uh, let's go back to the phones. Lisa's on the line in Iowa City. Hi, Lisa. Hi. I am interested in growing some tomatoes with differing flavor profiles. I would like to know a high acid tomato and then a sweet tomato, both in slicing varieties. Mm-hmm. So high acid one, you know, these, uh, these greener tomatoes I've seen, I, I think of as being uh, more high acid. So like a, a, a green zebra might be one that would be a higher acid, a nice sweet red slicer. Oh man. I just love the rich flavor of, of a lot of, of, of red slicers. Um, are you looking for a determinate or an indeterminate red slicer? Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, and, and I presume you're growing these outdoors in your garden, not in, not indoors, yes. right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, yep. that, that's, um, I like big beef plus is a really, you know, we did a blind taste test of, uh, of all the tomatoes that we were growing heirlooms, hybrids, all that. And surprisingly, this was when I was working at a farm and we had about 15 people there doing this taste test and, uh, didn't see them. Tasted them all. Big Beef Plus won the taste test that day on that, uh, even though, you know, all the heirlooms are up against it. If I was doing it based on my eyes, I might go with, say, Cherokee Purple or something like that. Uh, That's that's an heirloom that's really good flavor that also doesn't get all lobed and weird and massive. It's more of a size of a slicer. It's dark, um, darker uh, color than a a red, um, you know, more on the... Uh, burgundy or mauve side of of red than than uh, red slicer. And say but, that uh, one again. Are, oh, Cherokee purple. That's a really tasty Cherokee one. Cherokee purple. Okay. Yeah. All right. Thank yeah. you. Bye bye. You're so welcome. Yeah. Thanks a lot for the call, Lisa. Eight six six seven eight zero ninety one hundred is the number for you to call. You can also send email to talk of Iowa at iowapublicradio.org. And Dan, this seems like a good time to to fit in a few more of your recommendations. Sure. You also sent me a wonderful video that shows you harvesting your winter greens, your lettuce, yeah. your spinach, and herbs that you grow all year round in your yard. And uh, yeah. that was that was posted in the Grown at Home series on YouTube. So people could look that up. It's a whole lot of fun. Yep. So let's talk about spinach. What kind of spinach should we grow? Oh, man, the good old reliable one is space. It's been around for ages and lots of commercial growers still grow it. It's it's a it's really, really nice spinach. Um Another one that I'm going to be trying this next year is called Sun Angel, which is a little bit more upright growing. So it's a little bit easier to to harvest. It comes up out of the dirt, so it's not as dirty. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying that one. I'm growing Corvair and Oroch in my garden right now. They're both pretty good. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I like them. (laughs) You can't can't get enough, can you? Um, No. All right. How about kale? Yeah, uh, you and I both love kale. I remember that from a previous conversation. Uh, if you also love kale, give Black Magic a try. It's a uh, it's a lacinato type, this dinosaur kale. That's it's an hybrid. Uh, excuse me, a hybrid version of lacinato, and it's um it's it's uniform, good disease resistance, nice dark color. It's a nice one. All right, and lettuce. Yeah, sure. Um, I love romaine, and Coastal Star is one that can um, you can plant in the sp- in say mid spring, and then it'll also do fairly well in the beginning of summer. It's got some heat resistance to it, um, and then 
there's a couple others that are that I really like butterheads uh, so concept is is one of those and magenta is another one that's that's got a little bit of red to it that's a really nice one and these these are you know lettuce it should be stated that lettuce is not great in the middle of summer so these are spring and fall crops that uh, people should try right but way. you can grow them all winter long <laughs> for sure. yes of course <laughs> <laughs> we also, uh, back to zucchini, Morrow called from Iowa City, and he's looking for a pest-resistant variety of zucchini. Oh. And I know we talked about the Costado Romanesco. Um, mm-hmm. Is it also pest-resistant? Is it the perfect zucchini? It's not. Oh. I, 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 I wish, right? Yeah, <laughs> no, I have had uh, difficulty with it dying from uh, both cucumber beetles and squash bugs, but this is true of any zucchini. And especially when you've got only one or two plants in your garden, if they both go down, that's, uh, you know, you've lost a hundred percent, but if you're <laughs> the commercial growers where they've got a whole field of it, if one or two go down, it's, it's, a, it's rounding error. So anyway, I, the, the thing to do for pest resistance on these, assuming you're not going to be spraying these things all the time, uh, one of the diseases, you know, might be bacterial wilt that they'd get from cucumber beetles that have overwintered. So using frost fabric or insect barrier, this this white fabric, to cover them until they start flowering and then removing that because these zucchini, most of them will need to be pollinated um, by pollinators, obviously. And they that gives them enough protection until they're stout and sturdy and they won't get that bacterial wilt. Of course, at that time of the year, the squash bugs start coming out. And so being vigilant and looking at the leaves at the undersides of the leaves for these burgundy small hard eggs and squashing those and if you see any squash bugs that are these brown uh, bugs crawling around there squash those as well the babies are are light gray and will um, usually hang out in the shade you see them sometimes on the top of a leaf but as soon as you get close they scatter and run down to the to the dark area um, they are pretty soft-bodied and something like insecticidal soap uh, which is pretty effective against those. And again, this is not, insecticidal soap is not Dawn dish soap, although a lot of people I know like to try that as a, quote, folk remedy. But uh, insecticidal soap is, is a pretty reliable thing for, for those baby squash bugs. But hand squishing also works for them. All right. And we don't have time to take another question before the break, but you probably have time to tell us about your favorite kinds of carrots to grow. Oh, my goodness. Bolero carrot for the win. It is, uh, bolero carrots are uh, a storage carrot. And they also are great fresh, but if you dig them and put them in your fridge in the crisper drawer or in a Ziploc bag, they will actually get sweeter in storage. And this carrot, actually, we did a a bunch of direct market vegetable growers, commercial growers uh, competed or engaged in a market farm madness like March Madness style bracket where it was all vegetable varieties up against each other. And in 2023, Bolero Carrots won it all over Sugar Baby Watermelon. (laughs) The big winner. All right. Oh, yeah. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. I am talking with Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists Dan Phileas and Aaron Style. You can join the conversation with your questions. Give us a call at 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. This is Talk of Iowa. Can we heal the environment? In Kansas, we're working on it. Up From Dust is a podcast about how humans reshaped the world to fit urban landscapes and agricultural needs. We'll meet the people who are rolling up their sleeves to find more sustainable ways forward. 
Listen to Up From Dust from KCUR, part of the NPR Network. It's Talk of Iowa from IPR News. I'm Charity Nebbe. It's Horticulture Day today, and with me, Aaron Style and Dan Phileas, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. They are here to answer your questions. Give us a call, 866-780-9100, 866-780-9100, or send email to talkofiowa at iowapublicradio.org. Lynn from Iowa City says, I have a five-foot olive tree that is plagued by scale. Over two weeks ago, I applied a systemic treatment that I worked into the soil and watered, but the tree is still dropping leaves and I pick off a few scale I can find. I don't have the room to spray it until I can drag it outside in warmer weather. What should I do? Yeah, you know, you're probably doing what you can right now. Uh, Scale, especially once it gets out of hand, can be really frustrating. Um, it takes a while for those systemic herbicides to really start to, or not herbicides, pesticides, to really start um, showing their kind of path of destruction, if you will. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that um, take a look at the label and what it recommends for follow-up treatments. Scale, one of the reasons why scale can be so problematic is that they have kind of overlapping generations and there are only certain parts of their life cycle where they're really susceptible to insecticides. And so you can wipe out one kind of generation, but if you don't come back in later with another round of, even if it's just insecticidal soap, two weeks later, you can miss a whole generation and the thing just starts back up again. And so um, making sure that you follow the directions that are on the label, some of those don't require a lot of follow-up because they're active for quite some time and some of them depending on what it is, might need a kind of a follow-up. That would probably be the only thing I'd recommend until you can get it outside, give it a good rinse, get all the stickiness off of it, um, get all the dead scale off of it, and then keeping an eye on it and treating it with an insecticidal soap or sometimes neem can work nicely for that stuff uh, as well um, when when you can have a spot where you're not going to make such a big mess inside. All right. Uh, Aman in Denver has maybe a philosophical question for you. Um, she wants to know what you're, what you guys think about talking or playing music to plants. Is there an actual benefit to that? <laughs> you know, this is so interesting because there have been studies that kind of, kind of lean towards this idea that it might be helpful. Um, one of the things that is not clear to me when I read through the studies is. Do you, when you're playing music for your plants, are you just inherently paying more attention to them mm. and therefore caring for them better because you're spending all this time right. playing them rock music or classical music or whatever it is that you decide to do? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes that's not always, I don't know if that's like parsed out, but there have been folks that have kind of talked about how the vibrations from music might play a role in, in, in helping them. Uh, if it does help them, it's probably pretty negligible about how much they actually do kind of grow better because of it. But certainly caring for your plants in, in a way, if that requires you to play some classical music for them uh, so that you watch them more closely and notice insect infestations earlier or right. keep them from I need some weed killing music. That's Oh, wouldn't that be great? That would That'd be, be glaring everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Jimmy has a question. He says, I have two kinds of lilacs that I want to propagate. I have a French lilac that's about three feet tall and three feet around, and I have to move it to a sunnier location. Should I prune it now 
and move later? I'll I'll get to his next question next. Okay. Um, you can if you would like. You can also prune it before you move it. Um, and lilac, depending on the the type it is. Um, most of them do sucker at the base, and some of them will send out suckers quite a ways from the base, and that can be a really great way of propagating uh, one. It's not so overwhelming as moving the entire shrub. So if you can find some of those little suckers and just pull that out um, and and relocate it, that can be a nice way of propagating it that's a little bit easier than trying to move the entire shrub. All right. Well, and related question. I also have mm-hmm. a lilac that I planted from a sucker 30 years ago. The mother plant mm-hmm. was planted by my grandfather 90 years ago. Now it is surrounded by suckers ranging in size from pencil size to three quarter inch in diameter and two and a half feet tall. Which would be mm-hmm. the best to transplant? How and when? Um, I would do this uh, when you can work the soil in the spring, but before they bud out. Um, it will probably sacrifice blooms for that year, and it may not bloom the following year. Um, sometimes lilacs will take several years to, uh, after transplanting or propagation to bloom again, but they will eventually. Um, I would aim, I personally would aim for stuff that's a little bit on the smaller side. Pencil size is a great size for a lot of different propagation. If you're going to take cuttings, pencil diameter is a great size. Um, and those smaller plants often have a little bit less transplant shock and recover more quickly as a result than something that's much larger. And so I would lean that uh, kind of on the smaller end of it. Honestly, I'd probably grab whatever's easiest to separate um, in the end. But uh, <laughs> Whatever you can get out. Yeah, whatever you can get at. And, and probably I'm guessing it'll be early to mid-April when you do this. So when the ground can be easily worked, but before they start leafing out. Carol in Mount Auburn says, this year I am planning to plant vegetables in galvanized stock tanks to try to alleviate the problems I have with deer and other pests. Last fall, I filled the tanks halfway with sticks and branches and compost. In the spring, I will fill it the rest of the way with compost and soilless mix. Do you have any tips for gardening this way? I... So um, making sure that you have a a nice soil in that is going to be really important. It sounds like you're definitely well on your way. Um, I didn't hear if this was open on the bottom or not. If it is not open on the bottom, um, you're going to want to drill some weeping holes at the bottom. And you probably won't be able to get to the bottom, but you can drill them on the side right at the base uh, because it'll be really easy for these things to accidentally fill up with water mm. intentionally or otherwise. And so it may be open on the bottom, in which case you're fine. Uh, but if it's not, make sure that you have drainage. All right. Yeah. Which <laughs> could be tricky to get through there with the the stuff that she put in last, last fall. Yeah. All right. Um, here's one for you, Dan. Trent says, my wife is super excited for some Brussels sprouts for pickling and sauteing. My garden is mm-hmm. full sun. Any recommendations? Oh, that's full sun. You're, you're well on your way. Um, Brussels sprouts are a long, really long season crop. So you want to start those in the spring and you won't get them until uh, the fall. Um, so the shortest day varieties are 90 days. They go up to, you know, 100, 110 days. I think there are even some that are 120. Uh, so tips are, yeah, start them now. Uh, watch for cabbage moths the little green worms that will that will eat them those are a problem flea beetles can be a problem in the spring also so uh that frost fabric insect barrier i was talking about earlier is a nice 
thing to put over them to prevent flea beetles from getting their leaves. Um, the other thing is that in round about, oh, beginning of September to middle of September, uh, with Brussels sprouts, it, it's a good thing to snap off the gr- top growing point of them. And that causes, uh, the apical dominance to break, which means that it's going to bulk out the sprouts uniformly from top of the stalk to the bottom of the stalk. And the last thing that a lot of people know, but I'll just mention anyway, is that after the first frost, those Brussels sprouts will typically taste sweeter. All right. Um, Bill in the Quad Cities says, I always like to plant sugar snack cherry tomatoes, but every year they're getting harder to find, even the seeds. Is there any particular reason for this and what would be a good replacement? Hmm. Sugar snack cherry tomatoes. I don't know if I've tried that variety. Um, I, uh, so the reason for some varieties being harder to find could be one, this hybridization that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about peppers and I didn't know who the two parents were. Sometimes the, uh, the parents are like the, the, it's, they don't, it's harder and harder to keep them pure or keep them in the state that you want them or whoever owned that intellectual property of that seed line, uh, is no longer, uh, no longer is willing to work with the breeder. So that there can also be marketing where there are just better varieties that have, uh, been quote unquote, better varieties that have been bred that have more disease resistance that will, uh, match up with the current pressures that people are experiencing. So they just don't find it worthwhile to market that variety anymore. Um, uh, Charity, do you, are you familiar with this variety of sugars? Now? I, do you, I am can not. you tell me a little no, bit more about I'm it? Sorry. Okay. Okay. Um, so uh, then I'll just share the current cherry tomato, red cherry tomato that I'm in love with. And that's cherry bomb. That's a really nice one. Uh, and, uh, if, if people are looking for, uh, another, um, one there is, um, Oh, what was the one that I tried? Well, a red grape, five-star red grapes, a really good one. Uh, I'm going to look up in the catalog real quick what that other one that I tried in the, but you can move on to the next question. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Aaron, then I'll ask you this. Uh, Nora in Mason city wants to know if she can still tap her maple trees since it has been so dry. Um, yes. I mean, there will be some sap flowing and, um, the, uh, if the tree is relatively young, it might be a little bit more stressful on it, but if it's a well-established tree, um, it shouldn't be too much problem. It has been drier, um, but there'll still be sap that flows and established trees should be, should be okay. All right. Uh, we also had an email that is a photograph of a succulent with a shoot off the main plant and they want to know mm. if they can just cut that off and put that shoot in water to grow roots. Uh, I probably wouldn't put it in water. Uh, you, you might have some success with it in water. The best way to propagate succulents with stem cuttings is to cut it off and then, believe it or not, let it sit for like two to three days. It'll help kind of callus over that bottom part and then stick it in a really well-drained potting soil um, and it should root in very nicely that way. All right. Um, how, how are you doing, Dan? Do you want to go it. back? I okay. Got, okay. So uh, Super Sweet 100 is the under, other one that I tried. And I uh, the, I grew both that and Cherry Bomb one year. And I honestly couldn't tell the difference between the two. So those are two reliable ones that I would say you should try out. All right. So those are red cherry tomatoes, Cherry Bomb and Super These are Sweet red cherry 100. tomatoes. Yes. And I, and I Googled sugar snack uh, 
tomato, and it does appear to be a red cherry tomato. All right. Um, Rick says, we have found a variety of lettuce that winters under plastic. It's called tango. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) so, man, after your own heart. um, Yeah. And, you know, you've you were talking about your your row covers. A lot of people are doing the same thing in cold frames, too. Yeah. Yeah. You can do this in cold frames as well. The um, and cold frames, you know, they they if they're up against the house, they can use that that warmth from the house there, too. My covers that I'm using are uh, are plastic, like greenhouse plastic over that rather than the the frost fabric. Frost fabric gives you a few degrees of warmth, but the the uh, greenhouse plastic is it warms up a lot more during the day. But yeah, tango, solid variety. All right. Well, and Carla has a related question. She said, what is the best way to to plant or to find a spot for winter harvest of greens like Swiss chard and spinach? Is the small row cover good or a cold frame? And how do you prepare for that winter protection? Yeah, the preparation. Well, the best place is wherever it's going to get the most sun in the in the winter. And if it is a shady place, it's just going to stay cold on those cold days. But even if it's in the 20s and it's in full sun and you've got that 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 little greenhouse or cold frame, that'll warm up a lot uh, faster or it will warm up, period. And you will be able to harvest that on those um, sunny days. Um, I'll caution against Swiss chard. You'll be able to have Swiss chard until, oh, Thanksgiving, maybe until Christmas. But it does not typically, um, at least in my experience, in the low tunnels, and I, therefore I doubt it would also in a cold frame, be able to last and endure the cold. But spinach for sure can. Um, what am I missing in this question, Charity? <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I think okay. you covered it. Okay, great. Aaron, did you have something to add? No, I I think that's a fun project, though. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm sure things are growing like crazy now that that it's already been warming up. Um, We only have about two minutes left. And I want to ask you, Dan, on your list Mm -hmm. under herbs, you shared Nufar and described it as a possible trap crop for Japanese beetles. Yeah. Tell me about uh, this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure. So this is I, I, I sat through a presentation by some uh, folks uh, who work for Johnny's Selected Seeds. These are people who work in their greenhouse and in their plant breeding, and they are using more and more and more of beneficial insects and attracting beneficial insects with plants. Um, so, they also mentioned how some certain crops that might that they use as trap crops, and in all of their uh, plantings, they have observed that Nufar is the variety that Japanese beetles will flock to the most. So they were, the, the reason I put question mark at the end of this, this is untested at this point for me, but I just wonder, could you plant Nufar basil as a place where you would selectively treat or at least know that the Japanese beetles are there and you should protect your other crops, such as zinnias or other flowers or the rest of your basil potentially from these Japanese beetles. I have so many questions because like <laughs> the the pheromone traps attract yeah. Japanese beetles, but then you have more mm-hmm. Japanese beetles. Aren't you running right. that risk that you're just going to have all the Japanese beetles in the neighborhood? That's a good question. Is it going to be as attractive as a pheromone trap? I don't know the answer to that. Um, 
I I will I will have to try it and let you know. But I, but I don't want to use a pheromone trap to because I've heard Donald Lewis say, right, don't, don't do, do it. it. Buy them for your friends. <laughs> <laughs> if Donald Lewis says it, it's it's gospel. All right, yeah. and and we only have a minute left. Uh, let's talk about your favorite kinds of cucumber before we let you go. Oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So uh, AAS winner, uh, bringing it back around to that. Diva is a AAS winner that has nice thin skin that you know. I've seen a lot in the stores, more of these cocktail cucumbers, small, either in a little like uh, bag, like the co- the snacking peppers or in right, a little Right, that you can just eat thing. without, yeah. you have to slice yeah, 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 them yeah. up. Yep. So, so if you harvest them small, six inches, Diva works for that. And it's one that also works to let it get a little bit bigger. And then it's like a nice uh, slicer cucumber. If you want to go old school, open pollinated slicer, cheap seed market more seventy six is pretty is super reliable still, and then another one that is a, a more of an American slicer which doesn't have that thin skin but is that dark green uh, is it's really reliable, very productive. Corinto is a little bit more expensive, but it really does produce, and you you do earn enough more uh, cucumbers from that to warrant the cost. All right, Dan Phileas, thank you so much. You're so welcome. And Aaron Style, thank you. You're welcome. Dan Phileas and Aaron Style, Iowa State University Extension Horticulture Specialists. Next Friday will be our last Hort Day Less Friday of the winter. We'll be back to weekly shows starting in March. Talk of Iowa is a production of IPR News. Our producers are Samantha McIntosh, Danny Gear, and Caitlin Troutman. We get production assistance from Kate Perez and technical support today from Steve Cooper. I'm Charity Nebbe. Have a great weekend. Music.